From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing. And what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. I need to be consumed live. And that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch. Over the next hour, we'll be exploring the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Binion to hold it. Trying to snap it. Suck up trying to win it. All right, that was, of course, the first game of the NFL season. Tampa Bay kicking a field goal. Tom Brady does everything, but he doesn't kick the field goal. He could and if he course, asked him, I bet. I bet he could. It's totally <laughs> true. They beat the Cowboys in week one opening night, but it was a huge success overall, Lynchy, for the NFL. Uh, the kickoff weekend ended up having the second highest TV ratings for week one over the past five seasons. Everyone is breathing a huge sigh of relief. You think this is just the first week or the start of something sustainable that'll last throughout the season? I think it'll last throughout the season because there were some there were some big name players in this league. There were five quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round. There's a lot of intrigue and interest. People want to watch them play. Uh, there was great ratings for the Thursday night and Sunday night game. They were up 11% over last year. Overall, league-wide, the 16 games that were played were up 7%. Um, there was a little bit of a curiosity factor because seeing fans back into the stadium mm-hmm. But there's some great matchups. I mean, there were some great, great matchups going on. You had the the New Orleans Saints had to move out of uh, New Orleans because of Hurricane Ida. They played a home game at Jacksonville, and they kicked Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers. They kicked their butt. Uh, The Patriots unveiled a new quarterback in Mac Jones to replace Tom Brady. He played great, but he didn't win. And, of course, Tom Brady delivered once again. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl champions, defending champions, went down and you just heard the field goal in the last play of the game to beat the Dallas Cowboys on the season opener. So it was a great way to kick off the season. And it's an easy game for everybody to fall. And I think one of the big reasons, too, Scarlett, that these things are up is the um, continued involvement of betting on games. Mm, mm-hmm. DraftKings, FanDuel, 
I talked to somebody that watched uh, with a bunch of 30-year-old guys and women over someone's house. And, they, and during the course of the game, they could bet on who would score the next touchdown. And if so-and-so scored the next touchdown, these guys were going to split $500. And then if the next punt went into the end zone, went out of bounds, somebody was going to split $200. So it's now evolved into more than just who's going to win or lose yeah. the game, who's going to cover the spread. There are all kinds of little prop bets that you can make on these devices on your phone while the game is in progress. And that keeps people watching, especially if it's a 35 to nothing game, that keeps people tuning in right to the final whistle. It's all about maximizing that engagement. You mentioned all kinds of matchups. Uh, one matchup that you didn't mention is the Mannings brothers. Yes. Um, the Manning brothers, of course, hosted their own show on ESPN2. It was kind of like a Twitch streaming broadcast. <laughs> it was billed as hanging out at a bar with Payne and Eli to watch a game. I didn't actually see it. I don't know about you, but I did appreciate the um, the next day analysis about how they had a lot of these scripted bits, the TV hijinks with um, Peyton trying on a helmet that didn't fit and explaining <laughs> plays on a whiteboard. But it actually got good when they got really nerdy and focused on the intricacies of the game, just talking through what they would have done, kind of reflecting and, and just sharing their thoughts as they were watching. Something you don't hear about when players are active in their careers. You hear about it when they're out of their career. You expect to hear more of it when, when they're in a broadcast booth broadcasting a game. And this is exactly what I want to hear. I want to hear what what he calls. He, he sees something, goes, Omaha, Omaha, 52, right? And it's, it's, what are you saying, Peyton? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm explaining this and explaining that. It's basically football for dummies. Mm-hmm. And I know I follow football, but I learned an awful lot. I watched a lot of outtakes of that show, and I think it's must-see TV because, you know, it, 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 I, I, I learned something, and I thought I knew everything about the game. But in fact, ESPN management at one point called in and said, hey, guys, focus more on the football, less on the silly stuff, on the stunts <laughs> that you guys did in the beginning. And it's not just uh, ESPN that's trying to think of different ways to to boost viewership of Monday Night Football. You also have Nickelodeon getting in on the NFL ratings bonanza. It's now hosting a weekly NFL show for kids called mm-hmm. NFL Slime Time. Right. Well, they had a game last year that was broadcast, and they had it was directed at, at that particular audience, and it was an enormous success. So it's like branding. It's like try to get everybody to brush with a certain toothpaste when they're five years old, and they'll be brushing it when they're 95 years old. Have someone drink this particular soda. Have someone use this particular cleaner or paper towel. So the NFL is following that same rule that, that, that Madison Avenue was following for years and years, and it's worked. They're going to hook a lot of young people, and they're going to be watching NFL football for a long, long time. All right, well, let's talk about someone else who's making a huge splash in sports, uh, LeBron James, Inc. LeBron James is actually getting closer to billionaire status because his one-year-old media business, um, Spring Hill Company, the, the one that's aimed at giving voice to creators and consumers that have been underserved, it's now speculated that it's in advanced talks with Redbird Capital, a private equity firm, for some kind of strategic investment. There's been a lot of talk about whether Spring Hill is in play because uh, there are reports of a sale to Nike. So we don't know exactly whether this is an investment or a sale, but LeBron James is wheeling and dealing out there. Yeah, and it looks like um, Redbird Capital may invest. Uh, the reports are somewhere between $650, $750 million dollars. We do know Redbird Capital uh, is a real player, and they invested 10% in the Fenway Sports Group, which I think is one of the top five sports entities on the planet right now. I know what the end game is on this right here with, with, with LeBron James between uh, Spring Hill, the infusion of capital from Redbird and Fenway Sports Group. He is going to become the principal owner of an NBA team in the not-too-distant future. 
And these investments with Redbird and Fenway Sports Group are going to play a huge role in it. You can take that to the bank, Scarlett. So you don't think he's going to give up uh, ownership of it? This would be more of a strategic investment rather than a full-on you know, outright sale? Correct. There would, be, there would probably be partners with, uh, with him, and he would be the managing partner or a principal mm-hmm. owner. Yep. By the way, we should mention as well, Spring Hill backed the new Space Jam movie. Yep. It also uh, has a marketing agency, and it owns the production company behind The Shop Uninterrupted on HBO. So it's already got a lot going on in its portfolio. I mean, this is a company that's doing a lot, and this is part of LeBron James building up his media empire. And before we say goodbye on the NBA, congratulations to Lisa Byington. The Milwaukee Bucks have hired her as their t- uh, play-by-play, television play-by-play for their local broadcasts. Uh, she has a great uh, background in World Cup, Women's World Cup, Olympics, NCAA basketball, March Madness. And she is the first women play-by-play announcer uh, on, on, in any sport for an entire season. So congratulations to the Bucks, and more congratulations to Lisa Byington. This is so exciting, and congratulations to all the girls and young women who listen to sports and watch sports and love sports and have always dreamed, you know, maybe they could be a play-by-play announcer, but never saw that there was someone who could do it because it hadn't been done up until now. Right. Congratulations. So this is a great role model out there, and Lisa is a great broadcaster. I've seen her on sidelines. I've seen her analyzing games, and she is great. She takes over for a guy that did the job for 35 years, and, and this guy couldn't have been happier for her. I'm always amazed when someone can do so many different sports. I mean, at some point, you have to just get good enough across all sports, even if there's one that's always your passion, right? I think it's in your DNA. I think when you, if, if you grow up and you're always grabbing the sports page before the business page or the editorial page, it's uh, you're de- sort of you're destined to become a either a writer or a play-by-play broadcaster and somehow in the media, sports media. All right. Well, plenty more to come from that, and we'll be keeping an eye on it. Hopefully, there will be more like Lisa. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Scarlett Fu, along with Mike Lynch, and joining us now is the CEO of All Elite Wrestling, Tony Khan. It's great being in New Jersey, and when I said at All Out, God, I love pro wrestling, it was because of this man, Brian Danielson! The crowd once again to their feet upon the arrival of yet another That was Tony Schiavone introducing the one and only Brian Danielson in New Jersey Wednesday night. And of course, by New Jersey, I mean the Prudential Center. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. So a big night in general for you guys. Um, Give us an idea here about what the AEAW is all about, because it's a rival to the WWE, and it's meant to be newer, younger, just a different demographic, right? It's meant to be uh, the best wrestling show on television and Uh, The last three weeks, we've been the number one show on all of cable on Wednesday night, uh, and I'm hoping to continue that trend, but uh, we've got a great fan base, and that's really the star of the show. Um, The wrestling fans make this all possible, and uh, we've really brought some of the most exciting stars in wrestling into AEW, and we've also built some of the most exciting young stars in wrestling. 
So really our show began, we introduced a lot of new stars, and then I tried to go out and sign top names and bring together the best possible roster. It's a really a diverse roster, diverse life experiences, diverse backgrounds, and uh, really people of all different ages and experience levels. And the, the star power of the AEW roster is now unparalleled. We have the most star power of any wrestling roster, which is not how it started. Really, this was a lot of elbow grease. We had some very, very big-name stars and some really young wrestlers, but uh, the depth of the roster and the amount of you know huge Hall of Fame stars that we have. So uh, I bootstrapped this company. I, I started it uh, in 2019 and uh, really began working on it in 2018, and uh, it, the growth has been incredible in just a couple of years. Hey, Tony, it's Mike Lynch up in Boston. Um, I, I love the concept. Um, I was around when the AFL came around, and people said they're crazy. You're never going to compete with the NFL. And I'm sure people have told you, you're crazy. You can never compete with WWE. Has wrestling always been, always been part of your DNA, and has this sort of been your, your dream to, to have this fledgling, uh, very successful now wrestling entity? Yeah, always has been a dream of mine, Mike. Um, I've always been a huge wrestling fan. And I've always wanted to write wrestling shows. And a lot of the, the business aspect of it has, has come to me, and I've had a lot of experience in sports business, uh, working in English football and working in the NFL. And uh, but wrestling's always been a, a first love of mine. Uh, really, I realized in 2018 there were so many young stars out there that were becoming big names, and some of the big free agents were available, and I realized that at the beginning of 2019 would be a very unique opportunity in terms of a lot of contracts being up at the same time and a lot of exciting young wrestlers being available to go out and start a wrestling company. And I realized I could, you know, go out, recruit a media partner, and if we could get, uh, you know, a TV partner to really back us and, and believe in this and give us a platform we could go out and compete and that's what TNT and Warner media have done for us. Um, in 2018, I reached out to uh, my good friend, Kevin Riley, who was the president at the time of TNT and TBS and, uh, you know, suggested that I think it would make a lot of sense for, uh, TNT and TBS to get into the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, the people there and, and, and the people still in charge have really been so supportive. Uh, we have a great, GM at TNT and TBS named Brett White and a great executive vice president named Sam Linsky. And they're very supportive of the show. And uh, I talk to Sam every Wednesday mm -hmm. and he's, you know, really a fan of wrestling, which, which helps. And, you know, the growth the show has experienced, especially in 2021, is unlike anything they had expected. How do you compete with the WWE? Because they're the market leader, and no matter what you do or what you put on the table, it's always going to be compared, your product versus theirs. The number one show in wrestling on TV last week is Dynamite. So in some aspects, they're the market leader, but in other aspects, we're now the market leader. So I, they, that was the, at the beginning that may have been the case, uh, but there were a lot of reasons why I felt I could come in and compete. Um, you know, there were a lot of great wrestlers that weren't being featured on television, and there are a lot of wrestling fans out there that were looking for an alternative product that weren't satisfied with what they were getting on those shows. So I do think 
there was definitely a great opportunity to come in and compete, and I saw some vulnerability, frankly, in the market leader at the time, and it's opened up a lot of market share for us, for me to bootstrap a new business and build it up and, and gain a lot of that market share. We're now in a lot of significant business metrics. We are the worldwide leader. Tony, how often do you run uh, pay-per-view events? Quarterly. So it's it's pretty great. Um, we uh, have a quarterly event, and that's the key, I think, is for these pay-per-views. You're getting people to spend hard-earned money. You can't oversaturate the market, and it has to be an event people really want to go out and watch. And that's what we've been able to build, I think, with our with our pay-per-views. The last show we did was called All Out. And, again, speaking of, like, e-business metrics, um, WWE now is not as much in the business of providing linear pay-per-views. They have an agreement with Peacock, and their major streaming events go on Peacock to all their subscribers, and, and there's a great subscriber base there that watches those shows, and that's great for them. Um they do a lot of shows and, you know, at least one a month. Uh, I don't put on that many of the, these big pay-per-views. I really try to focus on my television product, which is Wednesday Night Dynamite on TNT, uh, 8 to 10, two-hour show, uh, 8 to 10 Eastern, and Friday Night Rampage, which is on at 10 p.m. Eastern, and that's a one-hour show. Mm. So the three hours of television and our shoulder programming – and um, developmental content is really a core focus for me. And then the stories build up to these quarterly pay-per-view events. Right. And it, it's pretty exciting because the closer we get to the pay-per-views, you can really feel the excitement building, the stories building. People can't wait to see these big matches. We just had one uh, Labor Day weekend in the Chicago area, and it set a lot of records for us. We had huge live attendance that week. Um but also, the pay-per-view buys were well over two hundred thousand. So, uh, you know, at a fifty dollar unit price, we did, we had really really good gross revenues, as you can imagine. Gotcha. And, um, after the splits of the pay-per-view providers, uh, you know, really really by far the most profitable pay-per-view event we've ever done. And Tony, you were just talking about the audience that you've put together, the product that you've put together with this league, the All Elite Wrestling product. Explain a little bit about the audience that you've attracted. What do we know about how they engage with the content, with the talent, how they spend? Well, it's the youngest skewing audience of all sports programming on all of television. Uh, there have been more weeks than not in the past several months where uh, we've beaten every major sporting event in terms of having the youngest skewing audience. Um, our Wednesday night show and our Friday night show have both finished as the number one show on cable in the 18 to 49 demographic. We have a, a more affluent uh, fan base than other wrestling organizations, but really people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, more likely to be college-educated audience. So it's, it's a very attractive audience to an advertising base. Uh, particularly with the age demographics that they have. So uh, having such a young, engaged audience is really important for us, and it's also a very consistent audience. Uh, this year, so many times, we've been the number one show on cable, and you can really count on our fans to come and watch the show every Wednesday night. Uh, we've done 102 episodes of Wednesday Night Dynamite now. What is the male-female split, Tony? 
Uh, it's a great question. I would say it's probably maybe like five five to three, something like that. Mm-hmm. Five, maybe a five to three split. Uh, but um, there, there's there's a lot of great female fans. I mean, we definitely have a huge male audience and dominate uh, the male eighteen to forty nine audience, which is uh, absolutely to some extent bread and butter viewer, but also have a really great young female audience uh, and are still one of the top shows in the young female audience, but absolutely have a very big male skewing, 18 to Tony, tell me about the event that's coming up in New York. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Um, this reminds me of uh, hockey games being played at Wrigley Field or Fenway Park. And tell me what's going on in New York, how it came about. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, I... A few years ago, it was uh, Googling stadiums with a roof, and I wanted to put on a big event with a roof, and I was looking for a great venue in a great city, and I realized there's one that's been sitting kind of under everyone's nose this entire time, and that's Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is one of the greatest venues in the world and had never hosted a pro wrestling show. Very non-traditional and, venue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a great venue, and it's a perfect venue for a wrestling show. The sight lines are tremendous. And there's great people there. You know, Danny and everybody there uh, at, at the Arthur Ashe Stadium and the U.S. Open Tennis Complex have been so supportive of this. There's wrestling fans there, too. And, you know, they're very different sports. Maybe they're different audiences. But there's tons of wrestling fans in New York, and people are really excited about this big event. So next week, we're going to put a special four hours of programming on TNT. Well, fittingly, we're calling it the AEW Grand Slam from the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Nice. So uh, two hours of Wednesday Night Dynamite live, as we do every week, but also we're going to do a special two hours of AEW Rampage on Friday night. It's normally a one-hour show, but we're doubling it up. So it's going to be a huge four-hour event at Arthur Ashe Stadium, and really it's going to be consistent with what our fans have come to expect from our big pay-per-view event. And... uh you know, the biggest matches, the biggest stars, matches they never thought were going to happen, including uh, Teddy Omega, the world champion of AEW, is going to take on somebody who just arrived in AEW. You heard him at the top of the clip. That's Brian Danielson, uh, who wrestled for many years in WWE, was the WWE champion, and has wrestled all over the world. And is just hugely respected by the fans. This is a dream match for them. And it's going to be very exciting. And also, CM Punk, who's one of the biggest stars in wrestling, mm-hmm. he was out with a self-imposed retirement for about seven years. And he's just recently made a comeback to AEW. He has not wrestled a match on television in over seven years. So this is a really big deal. And that's going to be a big part of the event. So Wednesday night, we've got Omega versus Brian Danielson, and Friday night we have Powerhouse Hobbs versus PM Punk. So you named a lot of well-known names there in uh, the world of professional wrestling. Uh, You mentioned Matt Hardy, you mentioned Brian Danielson, uh, Chris Jericho, CM Punk. What was your proposition to these guys? What was your pitch to them to to come join the AEW? How did you get them there? They're all very different. Um, They're all different conversations with all those guys. So it wasn't like I have one one, one-page pitch. Uh, that I would make um, to all of these guys as a standard thing. I really 
at different points to each of them about why this would be a great fit for them. And they're all doing different things with their careers. They're all in different stories, and I had different ideas for each one of them. And that's really a key thing to this is um, I believe in this business. I believe, you know, with our resources, my family, we could build this up and uh, create a roster that would be competitive with anybody. And then I believe that the storytelling that was happening in pro wrestling was not as good as it should have been a few years ago before AEW started. And I wanted to create a place where uh, stories could be told in a different way. And the show would have a very different feel, a very different presentation. And that was kind of my dream, and it's become a reality for all the fans. And that's, I think, why we've been able to find such a consistent audience that we're not being served with the kind of wrestling they wanted to be. Tony actually wears several hats because he is also an owner and director of the Fulham Football Club, the English Football Club, as well as the owner of True Media Sports, which is an analytics platform. And Tony, whenever we talk about analytics, I kind of think back to Michael Lewis and Moneyball and how they use analytics there. Compare what you use analytics for today. I mean, how, how much has analytics evolved since then? Oh, it's a huge, huge evolution in, in the world of sports analytics. Uh, my company, True Media, actually provides those very services uh, to the majority of Major League Baseball teams. Right now we're working with 20 out of the 30 Major League Baseball clubs, providing different things to different teams. But we provide a variety of, of tools and engineering and support for teams' analytics needs. And uh, teams are applying analytics to decision-making all across the sports. Baseball, you know, you brought up Moneyball as a great example. Where again, you have 20 of the 30 teams that are using us, and really all 30 teams are using some kind of solution. Um, a lot of them are engineering their own uh, tools mm-hmm. and not using outside developers like Dramedia. But um, there's a great, great market right now for the services we supply. And really, baseball teams, for example, are making so many decisions in a game, whether it's, you know, at bat in terms of who's up there, what they're doing against the pitchers. Or defensively, there's so much to it. The shift has become such a huge part of baseball, as the fans know. And uh, the fielders, you know, all the different shifts they put on, it's very difficult to keep track of almost. And it's really the way so much of it is calculated is using analytics tools. So um, absolutely, sports analytics has grown a lot, and that's been a huge part of my life. And that was really the day-to-day of my life, and wrestling was just something I was a fan of. And uh, I wrote wrestling shows in my spare time. (laughs) <laughs> uh, while working in sports analytics and in English football in the NFL. And uh, it really, that's how... Um, analytics is your day job, then? It was. No, uh, now I have a lot of day jobs. Um, <laughs> wrestling uh, became a big part of my day job, too. I have, you know, three full day jobs, and True Media is a company that I'm the owner and chairman of. But I have a great CEO, president, uh, and founder, along with, a great CTO and co-founder, and those two guys really built up a great business, um, and I've really enjoyed working with them and, and growing the business for the last seven years. And so, so, uh, that does not take up that much of my daytime. What does take up really often a 24-hour job, there's really days where I don't sleep and I end up catching up when I can, um, are uh, 
you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I run our analytics department, and that used to be consume all my time. I've hired a really great staff of people now that work with Urban Meyer and our GM Trent Balky and me, and I still oversee this, and I still come in and, and do a lot of the work, but not nearly as much of the work and the grind by hand as I right. used to do. In English football, I'm still the director of football and general manager of our team, Fulham, which, um, as I sit today, is going really, really well. And uh, we're at the top of the English Football League, and our goal is to get promoted back into the Premier League. Um, and we've been working really hard on that. And I work with our scouts and our data team and, of course, our, our head coach, Marco Silva. And I'm in charge of all the player recruitment and signings and transfers and loans. And that's a job I really love, and those were kind of my bread and butter work, and uh, still are. And, you know, wrestling was kind of something I would go home and watch and, and watch all the different shows, and my little fun hobby was writing wrestling shows, and it became a huge part of my life. And the more I got into AEW, the more all-consumed I've gotten with really running every aspect of the business. So I write the shows, I hire the wrestlers, I do the contracts, and on the talent relations. So it's it's a big job, and probably the hardest part of it is what they call booking, which is actually writing the shows and the storylines and matchmaking and putting the card on, the order of the matches, the order of the interviews and the stories and what happens. It's a very complex job, and it's really the job I really always wanted to do is book a wrestling company. And, it's, you know, it's absolutely a dream to always... Uh, own a wrestling company, but, but really my dream has always been to book a wrestling company. And uh, we have a lot of really exciting stories happening, and the matchmaking, I think, has got people really excited. And the card of matches next week, people are stoked about. So I think it's going really well, and it's you know, something I'm very proud of. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So you write the, the, the storylines for the wrestling. Would you ever write yourself into any of the script and jump into the ring? No, like I don't write myself on as a TV character, but if this makes sense, I am a plot device in the show. So <laughs> you'll hear my name a few times because I am the matchmaker, so I make the matches so you'll have somebody you know, appeal to me and I don't need, I don't, I don't need to act or be on television or take up the TV time, but you do have to have a commissioner and a person who lays the law down and makes. Oh, I rules. like that. So, so for example, you don't need to see, you know, it's like Roger, you don't need to see Roger a lot during the games, but, but you need to know he's up. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my name comes up a lot. And for example, we had a tag team called the young bucks who also behind the scenes are incredibly valuable. And, and they've been with me since the very beginning. And they're also behind the scenes executive vice presidents of the company and really my right hand people. And uh, along with Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes and uh, uh, other great business vice presidents that we have. 
those four also are probably more prominent, but they're all wrestlers. And the Young Bucks had been retaining their tag team title through chicanery. Lots of outside interference. <laughs> so we just had a big storyline where I had finally had enough, not me coming out and saying it, but just the announcers explained, you know, Tony Khan's had enough, and we're going to have a tournament with the top four ranked contenders in the, of the tag teams, and whoever wins the tournament, this eliminator, is going to go on to the pay-per-view and get a shot against the Young Bucks in a steel cage because that's the one way I kind of had made sure nobody would be able to interfere in the match. So <laughs> a lot of times in wrestling you see these steel cage matches happening with no rhyme or reason. It's like, but, hey, yeah, now you've given match. them a reason, a backstory for it, for it to all come together. I, yeah. I really appreciate yeah. the, the yeah. consistency in thinking through the plot uh, and the development of the storyline. You had mentioned the um, English Fulham Soccer Club. I wanted to to ask you about that. Given all the drama that took place over the summer, what's your view on the European Super League? I mean, we know that they came together, they proposed this this idea, which was kind of dead on arrival because there was so much backlash against it. Is this a truly dead concept, or do you think it'll be revived at some point in the future? I don't expect we'll ever hear from it again. I think it's one of those ill-fated ideas that was shot into the sun, like New Coke, or the kind of things that we make fun of and we'll, you know, Crystal Pepsi and stuff that we, uh, you know, joke about that never became a thing. And I think it's one of those things we'll all laugh about in time. It wasn't very funny for a few days. Are you laughing uh, about it now? Dad, I um, am now, but uh, at the time it wasn't amusing at all. And my father, um, along with a lot of the other Premier League uh, chairman at the time, put out a pretty compelling statement. And he, he spoke out against it, and I think he was one of the first chairmen to really come out and put the fist down. And I, I agree with everything he said. Tony, um, there's a hot-button topic around all the sports here in the, in the United States, vaccinations. Um, commissioners are pretty much powerless because the unions uh, have not approved it, and it's left up to the individual. And it's caused problems, as we've seen over the last year and a half, with the postponements, cancellations, and widespread uh, positive tests. As the commissioner of AEW, do you have the authority to mandate everyone gets vaccinated, and have you done so? It's an interesting question. Uh, I have most of the roster has gotten, and we've encouraged people to do so at the level of the NFL and English football and same thing with AEW that haven't put in mandatory, but have also strongly encouraged and put in protocols that would encourage everybody to do so because it's much, much easier for the vaccinated folks to get through the day and to interact outside of the ring. And um, they just have to go through a lot less rigorous procedures and testing. So we've definitely encouraged everybody to do it. Same at the NFL, same in England, uh, and most of our people are. And that's also true of the NFL. So I, I think, uh, you know, with, with the Jaguars, with Fulham, and with AEW, we've really strongly encouraged it as much as we can. I always think it's interesting that companies or organizations can require that their front office get vaccinated, but um, talent like the players themselves, that becomes a whole different uh, animal, just kind of like what Mike Lynch was saying. What more can you do to encourage um, the wrestlers, the talent, to to get vaccinated? I mean, are you putting, are you giving them incentives? Are you outright? We've done all, I mean, we have created a great 
a great backstage environment where people really want to spend time together. And we've also put in pretty thorough testing protocols. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, not being a part of the most rigorous level of the testing protocols and also having the ability to go out and do what you want and, and live your life like we did before and with, with, without some of these draconian uh, protocols makes it much more uh, savory, much more encouraging for uh, the vaccinated. So I, I do really think, you know, similar with the NFL where uh, I, I see firsthand you get a very different experience day-to-day at the practice field and, you know, in meetings and in training totally different experience for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated yeah. so it's um i think it's it's a good question um and and that's why most of the people have gone out and done it let me ask you about trevor lawrence and uh, the, it was no secret you're going to pick him number one but when it became official what did it do to how much of a bump did you get in season ticket sales uh, merchandise sales uh in-game advertising just the, how much of a financial infusion for your franchise was the drafting of I mean, it's lines. millions and millions of dollars, and the full effect is still cumulative, and it's, it's adding up, and it's growing every day. We're making new fans, and the most important thing is the football, and he is so great. He's added so much, and we've never had anybody more competent back there, I think, at this stage in the game in terms of being a rookie quarterback in their development. So he's tremendous, tremendous advanced prospect for a rookie quarterback. Um, but, you know, in addition to the on the field, everything he brings, absolutely he brings us a ton of interest in our product and our team, our franchise, off the field, and he drives a lot of business. Uh, we've seen a huge spike in season tickets, and over half the people buying Jaguars tickets now have never bought a Jaguars ticket before, hmm. which is kind of amazing. Uh, we're having season ticket buyers that, that have never been season ticket holders before, and thousands of them. So he's definitely making new fans and, and growing the business for us. Tony, thanks so much for joining us. We've been speaking with AEW CEO and, of course, sports analytics guru, Tony Khan. So, Mike Lynch, I'm not a pro wrestling <laughs> viewer um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I know a lot of people who are, and I think it's fascinating that Tony is so invested in the storyline, thinking through how to merge these disparate threads, and also writing himself into the storylines. That was a great question. <laughs> well, his competitor, Vince McMahon, actually gets into the ring and slaps around some Oh, there you go. Okay. I don't think Tony's going to be doing that, but it's a great concept because it it's basically um, a soap opera. For guys? For guys and women. No, there's a lot of women. Now, I'll tell you a story. When my middle daughter, my wife was pregnant with my middle daughter, we went to WrestleMania. And uh, a news reporter from our station came up and asked her, said, what are you doing here uh, at this wrestling event? She said, if Hulk Hogan can't get me into labor, nobody can. (laughs) Great line. (laughs) And it was still about, uh, about 10 days later where Molly was delivered some 36 years ago. 
But um, it, there's a big audience out there. And as he said, the audience is like, you know, probably five to three, five, you know, for every five uh, men watching it and participating, there were three women. So, you know, there are interesting storylines. It's not just these big muscular guys slamming each other to the turf. There's a lot of uh, dialogue going on and there's a lot of, you know, things that happen outside of the ring. You know, I, I would say to anybody who says I've never watched it, just give it a sample. I think you'll like it. Yeah, I I. I... I confess that I'm going to have to look at it yeah. with a new through yeah. a new lens yeah. definitely after talking with Tony about it. And this idea that they're going after non-traditional venues um, like Arthur Ashe Stadium in, uh, in Flushing, New York also makes it really interesting because we've seen the crossover appeal sure. of, you know, holding hockey games at uh, a baseball stadium for instance. Um, or constructing stadiums in the cornfields of Iowa for instance sure. um, as as being really successful experiments with um, just attracting attention and, and getting a whole new audience in there. Well, it's a different audience. You'll see that you won't see any people in, in suits and ties and dresses and heels clapping politely. This is going to be like the uh, <laughs> the end zone of the Cleveland Browns, the dog pound or the uh, the black hole with the Oakland Raiders. It's it's a very vociferous, active crowd, and it's going to be great. And he's right. The sight lines in there, because it's such a steep pitch to it, You'll even if you're in the top row, you'll feel like you're right inside the ring. I think it's a great idea. It's very innovative, and it's going to capture a lot of eyeballs. Trust me. That will do it for us this week. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Scarlett Fu on Twitter, at Scarlett Fu. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Thank you to Tony Khan. I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at Lynchy WCBB. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.